What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to steal a moment for yourself before the week ahead. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Two brothers who were in business together had a falling out that was so bad that they stopped speaking and literally, literally tried to have each other arrested. They split the business in two, and both became famous shoe brands. One of the two, arguably changing sports and brand marketing forever. This is Bizography, the show where we dive into the strange but true stories of iconic companies. Whether they're a current bright star, in the midst of a massive dumpster fire, or settling into the dust heap of history, they all have a past worth knowing. I'm Dana Barrett. I'm a former tech executive, an entrepreneur, and a TV and radio host. And over the course of my career, I've interviewed thousands of business leaders and reported on the bright beginnings and massive flameouts of the brands we know and love. Some of their stories are inspiring. Some are super intertwined with history, and some seem like they're right out of a movie. Bizography is a production of iHeartRadio and DB Media and is co-hosted, as always, by my producer and today's official researcher, Nick Bean. <laughs> oh, thank you, Dana. Yeah, I think you're right. Right out of a movie is a great example for why we've decided to do this. And I think we probably need to get into a little bit of that first, why we chose <clears throat> Adidas to yeah. be the company of the day. So Adidas, which I am going to now forever refer to as Adidas, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I may go back and forth, actually. I take that back. But I, I, I think we have to point out that this is the first non-American company. Now, we have other companies that had histories in other parts of the world, that the people came from other parts of the world, but they, for the most part, started as American companies. This is not an American company. Adidas, Adidas, is a European company. It is a German company. It was a German company. It still is a German company. Mm-hmm. It's a German company. Yeah. And I have to say... <laughs> That one of the reasons I resisted doing companies from other parts of the world is the pronunciation issues that uh, tend to come up. And the minute you brought the research in from this one, we knew we were going to be on the struggle bus. Yeah, there's a lot of German that uh, really I don't think either of us have the dialect <laughs> to to pull off. And uh, you're right. The moment you pull up at uh, Adidas, the first thing you learn is where they're headquartered at, which is in Bavaria. In Germany. We can say that. Yeah, we can say Bavaria and Germany, but the name of the actual town is a little bit harder. So we had the help of, you know, computer voice guy who always gets it right to explain and uh, tell us what the name is. And it is... Herzogen Aurach. That's hard to say. Yeah, you say that three times fast. <laughs> so Herz- we... Herzogen Yes, it's very difficult to say. So we're going to go with what current CEO of Adidas calls it when he's speaking in English and simply say the name of the town is... Hertzow. Oh, Hertzow. I can handle it. simple. I can handle Hertzow. Listen, the other reason we felt like we really um, needed to do the story of Adidas is because we knew we wanted to do a shoe company, uh, an athletic shoe company, because 
athletic shoes have become such an important part of culture in modern times. And so many of the shoe brands are iconic. Absolutely. I mean, isn't it kind of a big deal what brand you have on your feet? It People is. check that out. I mean, in our last episode, we uh, dealt with Singer, the sewing machine company. Mm-hmm. And I started that episode by saying, if I asked you to name a sewing machine company, you probably could only name one. Yeah. And it would be Singer. Mm-hmm. But in this case, if I asked you to name a famous shoe company, you could probably name five easily off the top of your head without even thinking about it. And so we did do a little bit of research into some of the companies that are uh, based in the United States, that started in the United States, like Nike, um, like New Balance. And not that their stories were a snooze fest, but their stories were kind of a snooze fest. Yeah, they were very, let's say, I know this is a business show. But they were very businessy. There yeah. wasn't really a lot of meat on the bone. And plus, we were doing kind of multiple surface level researches. And that's when we came across Adidas. And oh, man, it yeah. gets deep. Yeah. So that's why we picked this. Exactly. This is a, a drama. <laughs> the story of the two brothers that started, uh, essentially started Adidas. Yeah. I mean, really, it's one of their companies right. in the end, as we're, we've already sort of alluded to. <laughs> but the story of these two guys is literally, it could be a blockbuster movie. Right. I have a feeling that this podcast may be used in some script writing in the near future. And if that happens, we would like our our fee. Yeah, just let us know. Just give us a call. (laughs) It won't be a big fee. We're we're easy. Um, But I think, you know, the way to start this story is is almost with the timeline and with Adolf Dossler, Adi, Mm -hmm. of Adidas, uh, with his life. Let's start with him. So he uh, is actually the fourth child in his family, the third son, but the fourth child. And he's born in the year 1900 in... Herzogenaurach. Bavaria, Germany. (laughs) Uh, And he is, uh, you know, again, one of four. His parents are, his father rather, um, was a weaver, a textile maker, who ultimately began to make a version of a shoe, a felt slipper, when Adi was just a little boy. And uh, his name was Adolf. I know I already said that, but I just want to be clear. His name was Adolf. His nickname was Adi. Right. Uh, His older brother was Rudolph, the next one up the chain. And he went by Rudy. Yes. So Rudy and Adi. How cute is that? (laughs) Then they had an older sister, Marie, and an older brother, Fritz. So I did that backwards, but you got it. Yes. Okay. Youngest to oldest. Youngest to oldest. So basically, he's having a normal childhood that one might have in the you know, 19 aughts. How do you say that, right? In <laughs> right, the, in the right. first decade of the 1900s in Germany. Um, he finishes his formal education at 13 years old, as one was wont to do right. in that era. So 1913, and he um, is apprenticed off to a baker. And he wasn't really into that. Yeah, I think at the time in Germany, it was very much of a, hey, we're going to kind of pay attention to what you're good at in school, and then we're going to tell you what you should do. Yeah. And when he got into the bakery, he went, yeah, not for me. Not at all. (laughs) Right. And also, just so interesting to think about these decisions. Like, I feel like people today have a hard enough time deciding what they want to do at 18, 19, 20, 21. Right. Imagine that at 13. Yeah. You're like, dude, I just want to go outside and play. Like, I don't don't know what I want (laughs) to be when I grow up, but okay, sure, fine. So a year later, 1914, Adi completes his apprenticeship at the bakery, but decides, no, no, not going to do this bakery thing. So he he was a guy who who, who did what he said he was going to do, even at that young age. Yep. He finished out the year, but then he said, no, I don't want to do this. So he goes uh, back to his father and learns to stitch, which again was his father's business. Yep. And um, he, like I said, at 13, just kind of wanted to go out and play. Right. He was was a sports kid. Yeah, and he did that, right. He was in track and field teams. Uh, He did a lot of, you know, obviously they didn't have quite the sports stuff back then, but he was involved in as much athletic activity as he could possibly get involved in back then. He was that guy. He was. He was a jock. He was a jock. (laughs) And he he was helping his dad with his dad's business. And that way he kind of had the best of all worlds. Yeah. Uh, And he didn't have to be a baker. So, yay team. Right. Um, 1918, he's now 18 years old, and think about what's happening in history at that time. Yeah. World War One. Yes. So he's conscripted into the German army, and um, again, he's, he's the youngest brother. So this is four years after his two older brothers had already been conscripted. So all the brothers, essentially, were 
uh, a part of World War One. Yes. But only one year later, he comes back from military conscription, because now it's 1919, and goes back to work with his dad and starts making sports shoes. But he's sort of like, his dad's doing shoes over there, and he's kind of in his mom's kitchen in the laundry shed, uh, and he starts to experiment with shoes for sports, thinking, like, you can't just wear your normal shoes. You got to have different specialty shoes for sports. And the interesting part of it all is that initially, he wasn't really planning on that. He said, you know what? Dad made slippers. It's worked for him. I'm going to get into it too. And it was while he was out at some event, one of his shoes blew out, tore up, something happened with it. And he's like, this isn't working. Wait a minute. I make shoes. Why don't I just make shoes for myself to do this stuff? And that was kind of the birth of sports shoes a little bit in the concept was Adi Dassler said, I'm tired of having these piece of junk shoes that blow up on me every time. Let's make them for my track and field events. Which I love because it's the classic entrepreneur story. Yep. You have a problem. You yourself have a problem. You look around. You see that others maybe have the similar problem. And you come up with a new innovative solution and solve the problem. That is entrepreneurship. And innovative big time because this is, what, a year after World War I, which <clears throat> Germany lost Right. We all know that right. story. And so there's not a lot of money to go around. The entire nation is like war torn. He's literally going out into fields and picking up stuff left behind from these armies, like army helmets and like ammo patches or pouches and stuff like that. And he's using these materials to make shoes. So, yeah, totally innovative in every way. Innovative and resourceful. Like yeah. That's the word for that. You know, he's looking around. He's saying, well, materials are scarce you know what, I could use that thing over there and I could use that thing over there and coming up with something new. So you got to love that about the guy. So where does this whole brother story fit in? Adi's brother, Rudolph, Rudy, after the war, so now, you know, early 1920s, these guys are close. Mm -hmm. And so Adi brings Rudy into the business and they officially start the Dossler Brothers Shoe Factory. And I wish I could say, like, the rest is history. They made brilliant shoes and tons of money. But then we wouldn't have a movie. So we'll get a little bit more into the relationship of the brothers uh, and where this all goes right after this. All right. So it's 1925. Adi Dassler is 25 years old. His brother Rudy is just two years older, 27 years old. They now have a shoe factory, the Dossler Brothers Sports Shoe Factory, as translated <laughs> into English. And they start manufacturing shoes for what they call football and what we call soccer. Yeah. Uh, they are shoes with nailed studs. And they also start making track shoes, running shoes, with hand-forged spikes. So first of all, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Nick, but they were really the first company to say you need different kinds of shoes for different sports. Right. So they didn't totally invent the sports shoe. Audi had that idea back in the day, but sports shoes became a thing, but it was a sports shoe for soccer, for track and field, for anything. Audi and Rudy were the ones that went, no, 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 no. You need a different kind of shoe for football versus running track and high jump and pole vaulting. So yeah, they were the first ones to, to make kind of sports specific shoes. And yeah, that, that started to spread throughout Germany. So basically, if you felt like it, you could blame them sort of for the modern shoe craze on the whole. Because a now, little bit. now you need like, <laughs> you need your, your kicks for going out. You yeah. need your kicks for going to the mall. You need a different kind of kicks, you know, for actual playing of sports. And we but, will get to the casual part of Adidas much later, yeah. but you are 100% <laughs> spot on. That is exactly what it was, yeah. Of course, for them, those things were, the, the difference between what you needed for a football or a soccer shoe versus a running shoe had to do with the sport itself and the way the shoe was used. Yep. And so it was really a practical decision. It's like a running shoe, you just don't do the same thing with your feet when you're running straight ahead as you do when you're playing soccer. Right. And that was one thing apparently that was really common back in the day was that the we've all had that at least once a pair of sneakers, right? You step to the side and it just blows out yep. in your foot. We saw it with Zion Williamson, anyone who watches NCAA basketball. That happened last year and was a big deal. And that was what was happening on the football pitch. I mean, players were breaking their ankles literally because they just had the wrong shoes. Yeah. And these guys went, no, 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 no. We'll fix that. Yeah, so crazy that that happened recently because no one would ever expect that now. Oh, no. Shoes are not supposed to be like that right. now. Yeah. In any case, very early on, Adi, uh, I should give the whole company credit for this because we don't really know exactly who gets credit, right. but the Dossler 
shoe company knew that they should get involved in higher level sports, that they wanted to be part of the competition that was happening at a higher level. So very early on, like they started the company in 1924-25. And in 1928, Lena Radke, a German middle distance runner, won gold at the Summer Olympics wearing Dossler Brothers shoes. That was no accident. Um, That got the attention of the German track and field coach, uh, and he went out to meet with them. And that sort of tradition became part of what they were doing. So in 1932, another German gold medal winner was wearing Dossler Brothers shoes. Right. And that was something that turned into kind of a tradition almost for Dossler Brothers. And then later on, you know, Adidas was they were involved with the Olympics just in Germany to start with, but then it turns international. So this is kind of their first foray, like you said, into the higher level sports was the Olympics. So they shot for gold, haha, pun intended, right from the start. (laughs) I love a good pun. (laughs) Uh, Okay, keep in mind, this is now the early 1930s. Germany is, for the most part, recovered from World War I, um, but they're still suffering economically a little bit, which leads to the rise of the Nazi party. Yes. And it's now 1933, and as that's happening, now this is long before World War II broke out, but just as the Nazi power, uh, party is coming into power, they are prioritizing athletic teamwork. And the Dossler brothers see the potential economic impact that this could have for them. And so all three brothers, Fritz, Rudy, and Adi, all join the Nazi party. What? Yes. So... Right. We're getting a little touchy here, folks, but the truth is, yes, they all were active in the Nazi party. Because for what it's worth, it seems like initially it was more of just a business decision. They really weren't into the Nazi stuff. But like you said, they were prioritizing athletics so much. They're like, hey, this huge market, we can't not get involved here. Right. So, again, think about it. Like, we're saying join the Nazi party. And in my mind, for whatever reason, that immediately puts them in uniforms marching down the street. Right. Not Nazi soldiers, just in the Nazi party. It's a political party, right? Uh, And they join it. But it does make you, like, it does kind of weird you out a little bit, right? It does. It definitely did as we were doing research. I got to this point in the research timeline, and I sent you a text and said, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this because of, you know, Nazis. They were Nazis. Nazis. (laughs) Right. And I was, it's so funny because uh, in the middle of this research, I went out shoe shopping, as I want to do from time to time. And I was walking around like the racks of uh, shoes at, I think it was TJ Maxx or somewhere. And there was a bunch of Adidas shoes on the rack. And I was like, oh, these are cute. Oh, wait, do I want to? I don't, mm. (laughs) right? Like I had that moment of like, oh, there's a Nazi connection. Yeah. Mm. Um, However, to your point, Nick, they did it because it felt right from a business perspective for them. Right. Um, And so obviously they didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, later correct, with the Nazi party at that moment. But in any case, um, history now looking back, you know, when you're looking back at a story like this, whose story are you really telling? But uh, according to some, Rudy was sort of the most heavily involved and the most interested in the actual politics of the Nazi party. Yeah, basically it was business for all three of them, but Rudy kind of got sucked in after they joined. Yeah, Yeah. correct. Yeah, he was feeling it. Yeah. Well, 1934, Adi gets married. He is now 34 years old, Mm -hmm. and he marries Kata Martz. Oh, good job. That was my pronunciation. (laughs) It's spelled almost like Kathy. Right. Um, We might go with Kathy for the rest of the episode. Uh, But Adi marries Kata, and they are doing great as a couple, but like many couples, they're not getting along with the rest of the family so well. Uh, She allegedly would have some spats, if you will, with Adi's parents, and in particular with Rudy and his wife. And by the way, they all live together in one house. Yeah, which Mm -hmm. I think with the in-laws, and yeah, that's just not going to end well for anyone. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, that family dynamic is starting to bubble up. And in fact, later, um, when we get to it, you'll see that the relationship between Rudy and Kata almost is a big part of the problem. It is. But business is continuing. It's now 1935, and Adi sees that becoming a coach and a supplier to clubs in the Hitler Youth Movement was going to be a really good way to expand production for the Dossel Brothers Shoe Company. So he joins the Hitler Youth as a coach. Has his own team right there in 
Herzogen Aurach. <laughs> that he coaches for the Hitler Youth. Uh, yeah, they get active active in the Hitler Youth overall because they are selling sports shoes. Because that's, right, the Nazi party was big about their imagery. Yeah. And they wanted these strong young men to be the face of it. And that's how they did it. They put them on sports fields and had them break records and do these big things. And so best became, way to get the shoes on them. Right, right, right. It's so interesting, just on a total side note here, to think about the Nazi party tactics and and how they were doing what they were doing. And mm-hmm. so much of it was brainwashing young kids. Um, you know, when you're that age, when you're young, you know, in your early teens and or even before that, all you really want to do is fit in right. and belong. So if all the other kids are Nazi, you know, party members and in the youth movement and playing on the Nazi teams, then you want to do it too. Right. And if you have to sing the team song and, you know, salute the team logo and whatever it is, you're going to do it because you want to fit in with the other kids. Right. It's just so interesting. Can you imagine? Um, I guess I guess there's some of that with like young Republicans and young Democrats, but mostly that's college age in America. You know right. what I mean? But can you imagine <laughs> if we did that now? If we had like the young Democrats and at like 10, we were putting them in like on young Democrat soccer team. Could you yeah, just imagine? that would be really awkward. How weird. Yeah. It's just interesting to think about the tactics and how, you know, how effective it was. I mean, it sounds bad, and I know we've all heard them when it comes to stuff like that, but start them young, and yeah. that was their game plan. Yeah, it really was. In any case, it was working for uh, the Dossler brothers with their shoes because here was an opportunity, to your point, to get their athletic shoes on all those kids, and all they had to do was sign up. Right, and it's really interesting that, that that's what they do in 1935 as Adi joins the Hitler Youth. Because yeah. right after that is probably the biggest moment pre-Adidas for Adidas and the Dassler Brothers Shoe Company. Because the next year in 1936, Adi is, of course, they're working with the Olympic teams and they go to the Olympics in 1936. And while they're there, Adi says, hmm, we're doing great in Germany. But you know what we could do is do great in other places. And he sees one American athlete that's been standing out, one Jesse Owens. We've all heard that name. Goosies. Yeah. Jesse Owens in 1936, Adi somehow gets him one-on-one and convinces him to wear Dossler Brothers shoes in his 1936 competition. The way that he sold it to Jesse and his trainer was, listen, these shoes are much lighter than any other shoe you're going to wear. And also the spikes, a recent innovation at the time, most spikes were, as we said, nailed in. They were literally like big, heavy metal spikes sticking out of the bottom of the shoe. Adi said, well, you don't need to have metal. So he was making spikes out of rubber and canvas, which were much lighter and actually more durable. Jesse Owens said, sure, I'll wear your shoes. And we all know what happened in 1936. Right. So that kind of grew them to international uh, uh, success and appeal right before the war starts. And maybe actually saved the history of the company. Very good point. A little later. Yes. We'll we'll talk about that after this. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's full regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melody. 
Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of Melon Leaf stem cell technology. It's Melon Leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot So after the coup uh, of getting Jesse Owens to wear <laughs> their shoes, things are going pretty well for the Dossler Brothers Shoe Company. It's 1936, and from that year through 1939, all is well. They're selling about 200,000 pairs of shoes every year, and then World War II starts. And it goes down. Yes, it does. It goes down, of course, for the whole world. <laughs> right. But it also goes down for the Dossler brothers. So this is where our story turns from two young brothers, you know, working together to build a family company that will carry its legacy into the future and turns into the Oscar-winning future movie starring George Clooney and somebody who looks like him. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So it's 1939 and World War II begins. And, of course, all of that focus on sports in the Reich now gets turned around and the focus is now on war. Yes. So in 1940, Adi is conscripted into the Wehrmacht and he reports in December of that year. It's really just a few months later, February of 1941, where he gets to go back home. He's relieved of his duty in the Wehrmacht because it's deemed that he needs to be uh, in his hometown, in the Dossler Brothers Shoe Factory, uh, so that they can use that shoe factory as part of the war effort. Right, yeah. He was he was basically, as a civilian, more valuable to the Reich than he was as a soldier. And so they sent him home, which is where some of the tension comes from in the family. Right. So now he's at home. It's spring of 1941, and the conditions in the home, with all of those people in it, and, and more now because there's kids, yeah, are starting to boil over. There's one house, and you got mom and dad. That's the grandparents, essentially, now, Christoph right. and Pauline. You've got their kids, Rudy and Adi, and their wives. So what does that put us at? Six. Six. And five grandkids. Eleven people in a 1941 home. You know, it wasn't big. It wasn't a mansion. They're cramped. I don't know how many bathrooms they had. Not enough. But there was a lot of, there had to be a lot of fighting. Uh, So that fact that they were all sort of crammed into a house, and we already know there was tension between Kata and Rudy and his wife, Mm -hmm. and between Kata and really everybody. Apparently, I feel like I would have really liked her. She was, from everything I read, she was a very strong-willed woman. She was not afraid to tell you what she really thought. And that's, that apparently is not liked by many people for some reason. That's why I'm saying I think I would have really, right. really liked her. <laughs> um, but, of course, that was the case. And then um, Marie, the older sister, right. also got involved in the business, which added to the tension, right? Because now, you know, when family businesses, sometimes they go great. But often there's family dynamics that, you know, turn into a struggle. Yeah, you bring work home and take home to work with you and everything else. Yeah. Rudy starts to now show his jealous streak. He's kind of annoyed that his younger brother, Adi, is seen by the Nazi party to be the leader of the Dossler firm, and right. that, which is why he he's not having to fight. And so Rudy begins to sort of, you know, puff up his chest mm-hmm. and say, no, 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 I'm, I'm the man here. And with that, he actually 
started a fight essentially with Marie by denying her kids jobs in the company, saying there were enough family problems already. Right, which totally isn't untrue, right? But he didn't do it to stop family drama. He did it, like you said, to strong arm and show that he was the man in charge. Well, this really upsets his older sister, right? Because it's right in the middle of World War II. It's 1941, what the Americans are, haven't yet, we almost about, but they're, the war movement is, is, is happening. And her two sons are young. They're late teens, early 20s. And she doesn't want them to get drafted because anybody who's not already gainfully employed is going to get drafted into the, war, into the Wehrmacht. And that actually ends up happening. And her two sons never came home from the war. Yeah, and she blames her older brother. And yeah. by the way, it's not even just that you had to be gainfully employed. You had to be gainfully employed in specific war-approved industries Correct. to be saved from the draft, essentially. And their factory was one of those places. So Rudy could have saved her sons by allowing them to work in that factory, and he didn't. Yeah, and because because and that's the thing too. They are still making shoes. They're still making sports shoes, but like half the factory, and not exactly, but is making boots for the military. They they start doing spot welding for like guns and bazookas. So it's very valuable for the Nazi Party to have these people here. And yeah, her both of her sons end up dying in war. That's got to be tough. I mean, I'd be pissed. Right. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> And you know what's so crazy about this part of the story, too, is that it's, you know, that same year, Adi is reporting being so short-staffed in his factory that he had to actually ask for the use of some Soviet prisoners of war on the production line. So imagine the two boys, the two sons, could have been useful. Right. That's the other thing that comes out later is that they actually were short-staffed. Yeah. And they could have used her yeah. sons. But he was just being a big jerk. And it cost them their—it cost his nephews their lives. That causes the big tension rift between Audie and that, I guess, sect of the family yeah. and Rudolph's side of the family. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, you know, karma's a bitch because <laughs> 1943, a year after all that went down, uh, Rudy himself is conscripted into the army and he blames Audie. He says, uh, there's a quote, he says something like, I had to thank my brother and his Nazi party friends for getting him conscripted again, yeah. essentially. Yeah, from right from the start, he says that his brother, obviously his brother had the connections because his brother got out of service and now I'm getting drafted. At 45 years old, mind you, Rudolph is being drafted into the army. Right. Nazi Germany was getting a little desperate at this point, but Yeah, it's 1943. Yeah. Yeah. Right, I know. So um, this drama continues on because now Rudy is conscripted and he's mad. Yeah. So he sends a letter in April of 1943 to Adi that says, quote, I will not hesitate to seek the closure of the factory so that you be forced to take up an occupation that will allow you to play the leader and as a first-class sportsman to carry a gun. Can I put a dude after that? Dude. <laughs> that is the modern day equivalent to, as we say, talking smack. Right. Big time. He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I have to do this. You're going to have to do this yeah. too. Oh, you think you're the big guy at the factory? You think you're the big sports guy? Well, why don't you get out here and lead a, an, uh, a, a group of soldiers with a gun in your hand? Exactly. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. I have to say their language even, I, granted, this is a translation from German right. also, but it's so much nicer than we would say it now. Yeah, I think like, that we would probably... be cursing and <laughs> calling each other names. Probably de facto for the 40s in general. Yeah. Yeah. But then the worst part is later that year. When the Dassler Brothers factory in December gets put into full wartime mode, they are nothing but war stuff for the Reich. Rudy hears about this wherever he's stationed in Germany and goes back home because he says, hey, this war is going to end at some point and we have a lot of resources that are just sitting there and not being used. He goes back to the factory to get leather to take home, take back with him so he can start doing shoes after the war. He gets to the factory and finds out Addie had already beaten him to it. Adi had already gotten a lot of leather and stored it away to use after the war. So Rudy decides to report him to the local authorities. Wow. Yeah. And according to Kata, the police uh, were not nice to Adi when no. they came uh, to uh, talk to him about this. Wow. Yeah. So so essentially, I mean, think about that. Rudy gets tries to get his brother put in jail in 1943. Yeah. He tries to stab his brother in the back and finding was stabbed first, reports him to the cops. Jeez, man. <laughs> right. It goes beyond that. So 1944, now Rudy tries to use his contacts. I can't say this word either. In the Luftwaffe. Luftwaffe. Okay. 
This is why we don't do international companies. Uh, but in any case, he tries to use his contacts to take control of the Dassler factory. Uh, fails at that. And then in 1945, Rudy deserts his unit in the Nazi party and returns to... Herzogen Aurach. <laughs> Thanks for that assist, voiceover guy. Uh, but he goes home and uh, he gets arrested for deserting by the Gestapo and is essentially held for the rest of the war until the Allied liberation in May of that year. Yeah, it's it's bad. So he called the cops on his brother. He ends up leaving the unit, comes back to the hometown. Audie says, what are you doing here? And calls the Secret Service, essentially, the Gestapo, to come and pick him up. Nuts. The interesting part here, right? So like you said, he was held by the Gestapo until the end of the war. As the Allies are marching through Germany, the Americans, thankfully, get to Herzogenaurach and Bavaria first. And as they're coming through, they're trying to completely dismantle the German war machine. They see a factory. It's making war stuff. They get ready to go burn the place down. Katha and Marie come running out of the factory as the Allied soldiers are walking up and they go, no, 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 please don't, please don't. And they produce these newspaper articles showing Jesse Owens da, da, wearing... Da. Wearing the Dassler Brothers shoes in the 1936 Olympics. And not only does it make the Allies not burn down the factory, a lot of the Allies right then and there on the spot say, well, then go back in there and make me some shoes. And they start buying shoes from Dassler Brothers. It's crazy. So, like we alluded to, the deal, the early deal getting Jesse Owens to wear the shoes may have saved the company and allowed Adidas, as we know it today, to happen. Mm -hmm. Because... If that had not happened with Jesse Owens, it is quite possible, quite likely, in fact, that that factory would have been torn apart by the Allied forces, and maybe they would have been able to start up over again, but maybe they wouldn't. Right. Who knows? So that is the way history played out uh, in that case. And that, for the purposes of our story, was essentially the end of the wartime drama. You have Adi and Rudy, by this point now, just literally trying to get each other thrown in jail. And you have a factory that still stands and a war that's over. We'll tell you what happened after the war, after this. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag-A-Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melody. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more. 
with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. So the war ends, and it's like, you know, the world is rebuilding and coming back to peace. But the brotherly war, the war between between the two Dossler brothers is in, like, full swing. Yeah, pinnacle of the battle here. Yeah, <laughs> and I think most families can relate to some interfamily fights. There's always, like, you know, Uncle Joe and Dad don't get along, or Cousin Mary and Cousin Sue don't speak, and you got to put them at different tables across the room when there's a wedding, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Everybody has that. But this is like a whole other level of family feud. As we were uh, mentioning, you know, at the end of the war, they were already sort of pointing the finger at each other um, to the Gestapo and to the local authorities for various reasons. After the war, that sort of continued for some time because after the war, they were both kind of in trouble with the Allied forces Mm -hmm. in some way or other. For Rudy, it was um, suspicion of working for the Gestapo. For Adi, it was just general purpose, um, suspicion of being a Nazi sympathizer. And so they both had sort of battles to fight um, from a legal perspective, um, sort of trying to get out of any guilt around being a Nazi or sympathizing with them. And for Adi, um, he ultimately got the charges all the way dropped down almost as low as they could go. And there was sort of an admittance that he had to work with them, but he didn't really pay the price for that too badly. But not because of Rudy. Rudy was saying, oh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Right. And just to remind everybody, this comes down to Rudy's want to be the head of the shoe company. Yeah. Right. Because all throughout the war, Adi is the face of Dossler Brothers and Rudy feels kind of, you know, slighted by that. So he's doing everything he can to get Adi locked up so Rudy can run the show. And keep in mind, these are not kids. Like in the 19, late 1940s, these are 40 something, almost 50 year old men. Right. That are fighting like little boys. <laughs> And so, um, you know, there came a point in in Adi's, like, working through this, uh, the appeals process with the with the Allied forces, that, or the Allied troops, or the whatever they called it at that time. I think they the, were technically the Allied, or uh, Allied Occupying there Forces. There you go. Yes. I, I knew it had something to do with occupation, <laughs> but I didn't want to get it wrong. Well, it, it, but he had gotten his, his um, you know, the... Uh, accusation sort of lowered down to the lowest level, but Rudy actually went back to the authorities and said, no, 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 he wanted to make the weapons. It was his idea to do it. He didn't just do it because someone asked him to. He, it was his idea. I mean, that's how bad this was. In any case, they go back and forth. Eventually, both of them sort of, for the most part, wiggle themselves out of any real legal problems with the occupying forces. Uh, but they still got a business to deal with. Mm-hmm. And so, essentially, the family is split in two with some of the sisters on one side, or, you know, the sister on one side, the parents feeling one way, the various kids feeling however they're going to feel. And they split the business in two, essentially splitting it, you know, employees one for one, uh, the buildings one for one. And the way it turned out, correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, but there was literally two main buildings, just coincidentally, one on either side of a river, right? Right, yeah. So in in their hometown of... Herzogenaurach. They, <laughs> they, they, they got right before the war started. They had opened a second factory because they were mostly football shoes in one, but they were doing, you know, other normal shoes a little bit in the other. So they did have two factories. And you're right, literally across the river from each other in their town. And the, the, the staff was split down the middle. I think the interesting part of this is, right, so the sister, Marie, goes with Audie. Or Addie, because Rudolph gets her sons killed. The parents sign side with Rudolph and go to the other side of the river. And Rudolph, apparently in the Dassler Brothers company, was kind of the salesman of the group. Interesting. So when he goes across the river, they let everybody who worked for Dassler Brothers shoes decide, okay, who do you want to go work for? We're not going to tell you where to go. Most of the sales team went over with Rudolph across the river. Staying on this side of the river was Addie and most of the technicians and development production people. So that just goes to show you kind of where the two companies then went went 
on from that point. Yeah. Kind of Rudy got all the sales folks in the marketing and Addie got all the invention side. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong again, but w- initially when that happened, Rudy's side actually did better because they had good salespeople. Yeah, they teamed up with German football teams and local clubs. I mean, they were out there pushing, pushing, pushing. And so they were initially the more successful of the two. But then people realized that the quality was better coming out of Adi's side yep. and ended up over there uh, in terms of the consumers. So there was another, a couple of other fun little pieces to this story, <laughs> which is that this this town of... Herzogenaurach. ...was such a small town that everybody was sort of aware of this fight and everybody kind of knew about it. Like, I feel like in Atlanta, where we are as an example, you know, if there was a family feud over a company and they ended up splitting and one took one building, we wouldn't know. No, we'd have no idea. But this was a different era and it was a small town. And so everybody in the town knew about this and the town was divided about it. And the town ended up being known as the town of Bent Necks because everybody had to look down to see which shoes the strangers were wearing. Right. This is like probably, and this is not confirmed. I'm just going to put it out there. This may be the first confirmed case of foot watching, right? Because that became a thing oh. for a while. What brand you got? What what brand are your kicks? Yeah. This was probably the first time. It was right. a big deal. The, and if you were, you know, they saw if you were wearing Rudy's shoes, you were one thing. And if you were wearing Adi's shoes, you were something else. Also, it could be like the earliest um, occurrence of um, what we now know as what, like cell phone neck? Oh, yeah. Like, this is incredibly weird. (laughs) That's true. And it's even down to the point where the the town had two football clubs in in the same league, and one team sided with Adi and one team sided with Rudy. It was nuts. All right. We also have to talk about what they ended up naming their company. Right. I think you've probably, hint, hint, already figured out where Adi Das came from. (laughs) Adi Dassler. Correct. Uh, His shoes became Adi Das, Adidas. There you go. Rudy, originally, along the same line, was going to call his uh, shoe company Ruda. Ruda. Okay. Rudolph Dassler. Yeah, that maybe Rudadas. Rudadas. <laughs> oh, God. That was not good. But <laughs> but ultimately, uh, and we're not really sure exactly why. Maybe that just didn't roll off the tongue as well or whatever. Um, but ultimately, his shoe company ended up being called Puma. Yeah. Have, ever heard of it? Yeah. That Puma. Yep. <laughs> so, two of the biggest shoe brands... In the world today, uh, are still right across the river from each other, and still have a kind of um, what's the word? A, a antagonism towards each other. Yeah, very, very much so. Very competitive with each other, even when now, really, they should be all competing with like Nike. Oh, absolutely! They've got much bigger competition, and the families themselves aren't really involved anymore and in yet 20, still. like 19. Yeah. But the companies just like literally cannot stand each other. Yeah. It's weird. They still go at each <laughs> other and they still claim, you know, there's all kinds of claims back and forth about which one was responsible for this invention or that right. invention. No, no, we did it. No, we did it. Um, anyway, Puma and Adidas both uh, coming out of the Dossler Brothers yes. story. Now you see why we felt like we had to tell this story. Because uh, it's not just the story of Adidas, but in fact, both companies. And um, pretty fascinating. I was telling a friend of mine about this story um, before we sat down to record it. And they were like, wait, what? Those companies were started by Nazis? Like, Right? Oh, who knew? <laughs> Makes you think, right? And you would never think that Adidas, I thought Puma was something maybe, what, South American, African-based? Because, yeah. you know, that's where cougars live. Nope. Germany. Yep. So strange. Yep. There are some more interesting facts, though, right, that we have to get through. One of them I want to share with everybody. We all know Adidas and their logo, the three stripe, right? Yep. One, two, three. Do you do you know where that came from at all? The the, the thought process behind that? I'm going to cheat a little bit oh, here. Oh, you're cheating and looking at the sheet. I, but I do know, and I think it's interesting because now people spend so much time and energy thinking about exactly what a logo should look like. Um, theirs actually came from literally the way the shoe was made. There were three sort of structural support bands around the middle of the shoe to make it uh, work for for sports. And that actually just sort of ultimately became the logo just by turning it another color. Yeah, the story is literally that Adi was walking through the production line one day and was like looking at the shoes being made and just bing, light bulb went off and he said, huh, why don't we paint these? Because this group, this batch is going to a team or something. Why don't we paint these and see if people notice? And it stuck. 
And yeah. they ran with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that was, uh, I think, still in the late 1940s. When yeah, that happened. yeah, that was still pretty early on. Yeah. Yeah. So suffice it to say, in the 1940s, late 1940s, post-World War II, the two companies are, uh, you know, getting up and running, getting their branding together, their trademark, their Puma name, the the stripes for Adidas. Uh, and they're, they're, you know, starting to blossom and do well. Yes. And we'll kind of leave the Puma story because this is an Adidas episode. Right. <laughs> and we'll focus on Adidas. Um, but they had uh, some big moments in sports, really, and that is in the 1950s when they started to have some really important mm. moments that made the brand um, become even more prominent, not only there in Germany and in Europe, but worldwide. Right. And the biggest one that came was in 1954 at the FIFA World Cup, right? We know soccer football is the biggest aspect of what Adidas cares about, right? In the sporting shoe. Right. So this is West Germany and East Germany. West Germany is in the World Cup at 1954. This is a country that at this point is what, eight years old? Like still fledgling, still trying to recover from the war. They go to the World Cup. And just prior to that in 52, Adidas and the te- and the team coach of the West German national team got together and said, hey, why don't you help us with our equipment? This is not out of the ordinary. Adidas has done this with a bunch of smaller teams and clubs. So Adidas starts working with them on doing their equipment. Well, brainstorming and uh, Adi himself comes up with a new design for shoes that comes into play while West Germany is playing. It is screw in studs in your shoe. So if you can replace it for a different playing surface or different conditions, you don't just have that one set of cleats, so to speak, for the shoe that you're playing in. So West Germany is taking these shoes and they're beating the odds. They're beating huge teams at the time like Turkey, Yugoslavia, and Austria. And they end up in the final match against Hungary in the 1954 World Cup. And I love that whole fact that what happens next has kind of everything to do with the weather. Yeah. It totally has to like, do... if it had been a beautiful, sunny day, maybe this story would not have happened. No, absolutely not. <laughs> because on the day of the game, there was like a light drizzle. And so the pitch, the field they play on, was kind of muddy. Which made West Germany kind of happy because their best player on the team just so happened to be really good in those kinds of conditions. So they're playing against the, the, hung, the Hungarian team. And just as the playing field starts to get really bad later on in the game, the head coach turns around and looks at Adi. And apparently this is what Adidas claims is one of their biggest lines, pivotal moments in their history. He looks and goes, Adi, screw them on. Adi had developed deeper, you bigger to, You spikes. just say that with more vigor, Sorry. new guy next. Adi. Screw them on. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're just scaring me. Yeah, but he bigger spikes essentially to work in these adverse conditions. And so without having to change shoes and everything else, they plug them on and the West German team beats Hungary in a come behind match three to two. It is what's now known as the quote miracle in Bern because West Germany should have never stood a chance. And this is really the the coach after the game comes out and on the podium saying we have to thank Adi Dossler and Adi Doss because this equipment is what helped us win this game. It really launched them to the international prominence that they're at. And of course, to prove that we're not making stuff up about the family rivalry, (laughs) many, many, many years later, in fact, just a few years ago in 2006, Puma comes back with a statement that they were the first ones to invent the screw-in studs. Yeah, they actually had, uh, because obviously they they sponsored different teams, they came out with like a newspaper article that showed a German local team that had won like the German National Soccer Championship three months before the World Cup wearing shoes with screw-in studs. So Nick and I decided, uh, we don't really know this, but we decided that there's a good chance that there were probably uh, corporate spies in both cases, running back and forth between Adidas and Puma, and we think we'll, the world will never really know right. who had them I first mean, or whose idea it was. Come on, people. They're literally across the river from each other. It's right. not that hard. And also, it stands to reason that Adi's the one that came up with the screw-in studs, and the reason I say that is because he was the one inventing all along. Right. He was the brains behind the science of the shoes all along, whereas that was never Rudy's specialty. No, he was much more a businessman right. and less a shoemaker. Yeah. So we're going to we're gonna side with Adi. Yeah. Uh, yeah the bizography will <laughs> team will side with Adi on this one. 
Um, but the world will really never know. Right. Um, in any case, the Miracle in Bern was a big moment for the brand and um, kind of launched the shoe to be just really popular among football teams, right. uh, soccer teams worldwide. A lot of national teams then reached out to the company and said, hey, we want that. Give us those shoes. Yeah. Right. Um, so that was the 1950s. And, um, you know, essentially at this point, we're kind of to the point in the story where Adidas is on their way. Yes. They're becoming the iconic brand we uh, know and love today. But I think there are a few kind of fun little moments along the way <laughs> that are worth highlighting. By the way, um, the family stayed in the business. One of, you know, uh, one of the fun points is it wasn't just like when Adi was done, somebody else took it over. So Horst actually got into the game in the 1960s. He was Adi's oldest son. Yep. So he was uh, running the company for a long time, he I was. believe. Yeah. Um, but the soccer ball had uh, Adidas's name on it in the 1960s. How'd that happen? Yeah. So the soccer ball was a big deal for Adidas because that was the first thing they did kind of outside of shoes. Right. They just did shoes and cleats. That was what Adidas did. And then they started to make uh, soccer balls and they expanded into other equipment in general for sports. So that started to help their marketability. Right. They were into more than just shoes. And then two interesting parts of that of the equipment story. 1967, they release the tracksuit. Everybody knows the Adidas tracksuit with the three stripes down the pants and down the arms. They're still around today. Look up a picture. I'm not kidding you. Really hasn't changed very much at all. It's pretty much the same for the last 50 years. And then in 1970, Adidas, having a great relationship with the World Cup and World Cup teams, approaches uh, FIFA and says, hey, we're starting to get to the point in 1970 where a lot of these World Cup matches are getting televised all over the world. And soccer balls then really looked like volleyballs. They were just white with the patches together. It said, hey, here is an idea for something you'll see on black and white television, and it's what we now know as a soccer ball. They called it the Telstar, but it's a soccer ball with occasional black patches, so you can see it on a black and white TV screen. That is, and in 1970, they sent that to FIFA. FIFA said, cool, we love it. We're going to make it the official ball of the World Cup, and Adidas has been the official soccer ball of the World Cup every single time they've had it since. Crazy. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> also interesting to think that the company, which really essentially started, when did the actual name Adidas become the name. I think it was incorporated in 48. Okay. So shortly after the war. Yes. It wasn't until 1972 that they got that sort of three-leaf trefoil logo that we all know now. Right. That came a lot later. It did. So it's kind of interesting. They had the three stripes all along, mm-hmm. but then they added that, I guess that's what it's called, a trefoil. Does that word mean something? I I looked it up and every time I saw it, it just kept sending me back to images of that. So it may yeah. just be an artistic concept, well, like a fleur de lis. Okay, a little bit, something sure. very similar to that. I was very but. educated of you, <laughs> you guy, Nick. Uh, okay, any, in any case, that is sort of the 60s and 70s, um, and they then uh, continue to expand the line over time. Uh, Rudy passed away in 1974 yes, from lung cancer. He was 76 years old, right. I think, at the yeah. time. So he lived a pretty good life. Yes, he did. But in the 1970s, there was another sort of development that Adidas can kind of take at least partial credit for, if not full credit for. And that is sort of what we know now as commonplace, which is brands sort of becoming official worldwide sponsors of a sport, in this case, FIFA World Cup. Mm -hmm. And the brand in question was Coca-Cola. Yeah. So Horst, uh, Addy's oldest son, who had joined the company, got into kind of marketing and stuff. He saw the potential in this partnering with teams and groups. So he ended up working with a British advertising executive named Patrick Nally. They went to the FIFA World Cup. They went to Coke. Took them a while. But lo and behold, in 1976, the deal is official. They have an $8 million deal that makes Coca-Cola the first exclusive worldwide sponsor of a sport. Then right after that, they went after big names like McDonald's, Levi Strauss, and essentially Horst Dossler, the son of Adi, an executive at Adidas, is considered one of the fathers of sports sponsorship. The reason you go to a game and you see billboards in the outfield, or you see, for example, Adidas or Nike on a jersey, these sponsorships, this branding, it was birthed by Adidas, essentially. Yeah, pretty crazy. You know, our story is sort of winding down, essentially, in terms of uh, the growth and popularity and uh, Adidas turning into what we know now. But it's worth noting that Adi did pass away in 1978 at 78 years old uh, from heart failure and that Kata, his wife, then became 
uh, the chairman. Yes, she did. In 1978, she passed away six years later in 1984, but she had a couple years as the boss there. Yes, she did. She stayed involved in the business from the moment her and Audie got married. Yeah, which is obviously for the times. Very rare. Yeah. Yeah. And especially to not only stay involved, I think a lot of women, as we are learning just doing this podcast, were involved in the businesses, but they didn't always get the credit. But she actually took over in that chairman role after he passed away. So that was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Horst uh, took over after her. The other thing I think is worth noting that as we moved into modern times, starting with, let's say, the mid-80s through the 90s and into now, the cultural changes Adidas made over time, I think, also has really kept them front and center as a brand. They've had their ups and downs in terms of sales. I mean, Nike sort of got into the game, and and Nike is is the number one shoe company in the world now. But Adidas is number one in Europe still. And it's number two in the world. And so um, some of the things they did, partnering with artists, they were early on in doing that. Now we see a lot of brand um, influencers now. But at the time when they started doing it in the 1980s, that was relatively new. It was. And they were one of the first. And in a way, it happened backwards for them. So I think we can (laughs) sort of end this, uh, you know, our episode today with this sort of fun story. Because it just so happened that in the mid-1980s, around 1986, um, somebody who worked at Adidas happened to go to a Run DMC concert and heard this song. My Adidas walked through cops' doors and rolled all over Coliseum floors. I stepped on stage at Live 8. So they're like, wait a minute. Did they just say my Adidas? Because I work there. (laughs) And they go back. This employee goes back to the company and says, did you know this was happening? And they were like, what? No. So they partnered with Run DMC, who had written the song Just Cause. Yeah. It wasn't a commercial. It was written because they were wearing Adidas and they were looking cool in Adidas kicks. So they partnered with Run DMC. And that was sort of the beginning of them beginning to partner with um, celebrities and, of course, other brands doing the same thing. And that continues really into modern times. Right, it does, because in 2015, they partnered with another currently well-known artist, one man named Kanye West. I've heard of him. Yeah, and they made Yeezys, and they're still running them today. And they have lots of partnerships with non-athletic stars like that. Adidas has just been into that for a long time. Yeah, so that brings us really up to modern times. I mean, we skip through the modern times a little bit because I think we sort of all know that Adidas is part of our culture now. Right. Uh, between the track suits and the three stripes and the trefoil logo and World Cup and the soccer ball, everybody knows Adidas. And they're not hurting. In 2018, revenues at Adidas were approximately $24 billion U.S., so not too shabby. Right. And all of that, too, is because they got it together in modern days. I just I can't I don't feel like we can finish the episode without letting people know we've learned so many through bizography of companies owned by companies. We had no idea they were associated. One of the reasons Adidas is so successful. Yeah, they just own also Reebok. We yes. all know that brand. Yeah. And TaylorMade, yep. the golf company. Yes. So they actively own and run both of those. Yeah, they're 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 a huge, massive international company. Yeah, they learned like a lot of companies do uh, as they got bigger and bigger to acquire when it was right. appropriate, and they sold things off here and there of as course. well. Um, so a lot of interesting history there too. Um, but we'll leave that for your googling uh, <laughs> pleasure. You know, I like to sometimes make predictions beyond uh, what's going to happen beyond the now, and I think it is just a hundred percent clear that Adidas is here to stay. I mean, certainly for the foreseeable future. Who knows what's going to happen in the long, long term, but. In the foreseeable, Adidas is forever in the culture. They've done a good job of ingraining themselves. Yeah, and staying relevant. So good on you, Adidas. And uh, that's our episode. See you next time. Bizography is a production of iHeartRadio and DB Media. I'm your host, Dana Barrett. My co-host is Nick Bean. Our producer is Tari Harrison. And our executive producer is Jonathan Strickland. Have questions? Want to give us feedback? Or have a company you'd like us to cover? Email us at info at bizography.show or contact us on social. I'm at the Dana Barrett on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or just search for me on LinkedIn. Thanks for your support. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. 
luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's PACASO.com. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.